So grab your Bibles with me this morning. We want to continue to worship the Lord through the study of His Word. So we're going to be going to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. Last week we started a brand new series in the book of Nehemiah called Taking New Ground for God's Glory. And we're going to be looking at this whole book throughout this fall and looking at the life of Nehemiah and how God used him in some powerful ways because of the way in which he followed the Lord. And today we're going to look at how taking new ground through faith and what that looks like and what that means. And so I want to start today with a little special illustration. So I got a, a friend that's going to help me. Brandon, where you at, bro? Come on up here, man. So Brandon and Chris are the newest members of our small group. Uh, um, by the way, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group, okay? Some of you have heard me say that before. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Brandon here to help me kind of illustrate this morning. Let me kind of scoot over here so maybe everybody can see on the camera and stuff too. So Brandon, I'm going to give you a job this morning, okay? So here's the deal. You have to take, I've got five ping pong balls here, and they're numbered one through five, okay? You have to put them into the cylinder in numerical order in less than 30 seconds. If you do not, a bomb will explode and we will all die. Okay, no pressure. Just, just say, we're not, that's not really true. Don't nobody like call anybody. Okay, we're, we're all right. So you got 30 seconds. Go. Oh, almost got the five first. That would have been bad news. We would have all die. Okay, so got all five. 30, was that, that was not hard at all, right? Okay, we're going to try this again. Five ping pong balls, same thing, numerical order, but you got to do it with this on. Okay, now again, numerical order, 30 seconds. If they go in the wrong order, if there's not, then we all die. Okay, so no pressure here. I'll show you where the balls are at. All right, here's the cylinder. Okay, ready, go. And we die. Okay, so, all right. Go ahead and keep that on for me for just a second. All right, we're going to do this one more time. Same deal. Five balls, numerical order, 30 seconds, but this time I'm going to help you. Okay, are you ready? Okay, let me see your hands here. Ready? Here we go. Boom. All right, good job. You can take it off. Give Brandon a hand. All right, so stay, stay here for just a second. So the first time, that was super easy, right? Second time, way difficult. Probably impossible. Can we, can we agree on that? The third time worked, right? So what was the difference? I helped you the third time, right? Would you have been willing to risk all these fine people's lives if you were blindfolded without help? <laughs> no way. But with me helping you, do you think that I had a shot? Yeah. Okay, good. Awesome. Thanks, Brandon. Give him a hand. That right there is just a really simplistic picture of Christian faith. Christian faith means when God asks us to do something that's scary, maybe even a little risky, maybe even could go really bad if we mess it up, we still step out in faith and we do it because we know we're not doing it alone, right? It's not, op- it's not the second option where we're trying to fumble through on our own. It's God coming alongside us to help us do something that we could never do on our own. Faith is being willing to step out with the Lord and do something crazy, even with the blindfold on, because you trust that God's going to help you get through it, and bring the right outcome. So that's what we're going to see today with Nehemiah as well. At this, is to walk in faith, I must follow the Lord in a work that will fail 
without him. To walk in faith, I must follow the Lord in a work that will fail without him. I cannot do it on my own. So, take a look at chapter 2, verse 1, and let's look at Nehemiah's situation here. It starts off in this. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? Obviously, they didn't have COVID right then. And he was like, Get out of here. You need a mask. Okay. So no, you're not sick, so why are you sad? There is no, this is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. The first thing you need to know about faith this morning, point number one, fear of man paralyzes me from walking in faith. Fear of man paralyzes me from walking in faith. Let me show you what I'm talking about here. So it starts off, it says, in the month of Nisan. So again, let's just kind of catch up here for a second. We don't have the month of Nisan anymore. Um, but for us, that would be like late March, early April. And if you were with us last week, you remember that he found out about Jerusalem and the walls being torn down and the problem there back in like November, December. So for four months now, he's been praying. He's been fasting. He's been waiting on the Lord for a moment, for the right time, for the right opportunity to address the situation. So in the month of Nisan, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king because that was his job. Remember, he's the cupbearer, right? His job is to test the wine and then give it to the king. So he's, he's, in it, he's doing his job. He's just at work doing his job. And it says, I had not been sad in his presence. This is an important phrase because for servants in this time, somewhat true in some areas of the world today still, you were, it, it was like major problem if you brought your problems, your emotions, your thing into the presence of the master, right? When you were on duty, when you were serving the master, you had to be like on point all the time, nothing else. And so he's like, I've always been good. I've always, I've never been sad in his presence. I've never, I've always been doing my job well. I didn't want to be punished. I didn't want to be fired. But evidently something's different today because the king said, why is your face sad? This must be sadness of heart. Now, we notice here that the king is actually a pretty keen observer of people, right? Um, and he notices, maybe he's even, it looks like maybe concerned for Nehemiah because he knows that's not his normal thing. Like, this isn't, he's always been on point, and now he's not. And so he's showing some level of care here for Nehemiah. He's like, Nehemiah, what's up? Like, what, what's going on? Are you having a bad day? Maybe, right? But he's probably had bad days before, and he's been able to pull it off. So, so what's going on? I was just kind of, the text doesn't tell us. So this is one of those things in the Bible where sometimes you're reading the Bible and, and there's a part to the story that it's not exactly spelled out in Scripture and we kind of have to read the whole context to figure out what's going on here. So possibly Nehemiah is just sad because the dude's been fasting for four months, right? Like the dude just needs a cheeseburger, right? Like he, he's just, it's been weighing on him. He's been mourning. He's been struggling for four months and, and now it's, he just can't hold it in anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes when you've just been engulfed in, in an emotion for so long that you just, there comes a point where you just can't, it just spills out and you can't do anything about it. So maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe um, he decided, you know, that this was the day that he was going to approach the king. Because back in chapter 1, on, in verse 11, he said, when he's praying to God, he said, give me favor this day, right, with this man. 
And so he knows, like, this is the day I'm going to go talk to the king. And so maybe he's just all worried and freaked out because he knows, like, the time has come and now i got to say something. And so it's showing in his emotions. Or one person I read said maybe he's doing this on purpose to draw the king into the conversation so that he can broach this topic in a way that's respectable to the king. I don't know, but I do know the next phrase he says when the king asks him, he says, then I was very much afraid. Which kind of leads me to think that it might be one of the two middle ones, right? Nehemiah here is confessing something that's very important and something very real to all of us at times in our life. That's what we call the fear of man. Fear of man is fearing what men will say, what they will do, what they will think. Right? If, if I do this, if I say this, how are they going to respond? What's going to happen? What's the world going to do to me? Nehemiah here, he's probably thinking, you know, he could, he could experience rejection from the king, something that he relies on for safety and employment and all these things. Um, it could even lead to death if he's speaking out of turn. It could just be he's, he's fearful about failure, right? Because he loves Jerusalem, and this is a very important thing to him. And if the king doesn't do what he asks, then he's stuck. But he's scared. What's the response going to be from the king? This could go lots of ways bad for Nehemiah right here. And he's feeling that. And again, we all have these moments. We all have these moments where we fear what the world will do. What will they say? What will they think if I take this stand? If I, if I broach this topic? If I really share how I feel on this, what are they going to do or say in response? That's normal. That's human. The question is, when the fear of man comes because it does and it will, what do we do with it? How do we handle it? How do we respond when this fear of man starts to rise up inside of us? Because if it's handled wrongly, it paralyzes us when it comes to following the Lord. How do we stop our fear of man from paralyzing our faith in God? Well, I think we see in Scripture, and I've learned through my own walk with the Lord, that here's what you do. Find a greater fear. When you need to get through the fear of man, find a greater fear. Here's what I mean. Listen to Jesus' words from Matthew 10, 28. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. What Jesus is saying is like, listen, yeah, these guys might have, they might give you some flack, you might get some problems here on earth, but in the end, they can't hurt you. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if your faith is in him, they can't hurt you. Don't fear man, fear God who can not only send your body, but also your soul to hell if you're not walking in faith with him. The fear of God is so much greater than the fear of man. And when we get our hearts, when we get ourselves in line with who he is and we put our hope and our fear in him and not in what this world can do to us, man, there's nothing that we can't do for the Lord. When I come to understand and believe that there is one whose power and opinion matters so much more and is so much greater than any other person on this earth, then fear of man just dissipates. Because I have a greater fear in the one who is deserving 
of that. When Courtney and I were still um, serving at our previous church in Indiana, and God started kind of leading us towards church planting, we were praying and talking, and, and we had heard the horror stories, <laughs> we had heard the failure stories, we would heard the success stories of church planting. We knew it was a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice. We didn't really know we would, but, but we had an idea. But there came a point where, despite a healthy hesitancy, despite a healthy humility of God, we can't do this, we still know that the Lord was saying, go. And so to not follow him would have been disobedience at that point. And so we go to our, I went to my pastor, I started telling him, we started talking with our church about what God was calling us to do. We started talking with our small group. And we had a lot, that led to lots of conversations and lots of, uh, and lots of back and forth. But I remember one in particular that really stuck out to me. One night we were finishing up small group at our house and we were all kind of just sitting on the couches chilling and one of the guys was sitting there, and he kind of looks at me. He's kind of looking at me real strange. And he's like, no. <laughs> he's like, I, I just, I, I can't. I, I, just, I can't believe y'all are going to do this. Like, I just, he's like, I just, I, I, I don't think I have the faith to do that. I, could, I couldn't do that. And I, and I had this moment where I was just like, because believe me, we're not like some champions of faith. <laughs> so I'm sitting there going, like, how to process this? And I kind of, I kind of chuckle for a second. I'm like, you know what, it's, it's, it's not really that. At this point, it would take more faith for us to disobey God and not go than to go. Because our fear of God was so much greater than the fear of what this world might have for us or do to us in response to that, that we knew the only option was to go. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a greater fear in the Lord. Faith is about following the greater fear of the Lord than following the fear of man. So I walk in faith when I fear God more than man. That's what we see with Nehemiah here. We're going to see that here in the next verse as he responds to this fear that's rising up in him with the king. Look at verse 3. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Point number two about faith this morning is this. Faith in God gives me power to walk through fear. Faith in God gives me the power to walk through fear. So Nehemiah confesses, he says, I was afraid. But then he goes, the next, the next phrase is, but I said to the king. I mean, this guy has been praying and fasting for four months. And over four months, his faith has grown stronger than his fear. Or maybe he's just like, I want to eat tomorrow. So I'm done with, like, we got to do this now, right? Like, so I don't know what it was, but, but at this point, he takes that step of faith. And he speaks to the king. He says, let the king live forever, which is a, just an address of respect. That would have been the normal way you address the king respectfully. And so I also just want to point out here on a side note, that even though he has faith that God's going to do something here, his faith doesn't lead him to foolishness. 
right? He doesn't come in all arrogant and throwing his weight around. And he still comes in humble communication, not out of fear, but out of wisdom, right? Like, he, this is the king, and I want him to help him with something, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to approach him correctly. He says, king, the city of my father's graves lies in ruins. That's a very personal statement. Nehemiah is wise enough here to know that he has a relationship with the king. The king is going to respond to him best if he explains to him that this is, this is personal for me. This isn't some political agenda. This isn't some government decision. This isn't about some city that happens to be in your kingdom. No, this, this is the city of, of my heritage. This is the city of my people that lies in ruins. And so he, he approaches him on a personal level rather than a political level. And it's interesting, as you read through this little interchange with him the king, he never names the city. He never says Jerusalem anywhere in there. He refers to Judea. He refers to the, like, and the king knew what city he was talking about. He knew where Nehemiah was from. But he's smart enough and wise enough to know that in the past, the king has already had to deal with this rebellion in that area, and he already stopped them from rebuilding the walls once, and he doesn't want to bring up any memories of any of that political stuff, and so he just kind of leaves the name over on the side, and he just goes to him with this personal outpouring of his heart. Right? King, this is my city, and it lies in ruins. And so the king said to him, what are you requesting? Like, the king just cuts right to the chase, right? Like, just what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Which seems kind of harsh, but at the same point, it also kind of tips his hand, right? Like, it sounds like he might actually be willing to help, right? He's asking, what, what, do we, what do we need to do here? And so then this next phrase, I think, is the key to this whole passage right here. It says, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king. I love that. that both pieces of that are so important. Nehemiah prayed, and then he spoke. This is Nehemiah's defining moment, right? This is life or death, to success or failure. It all hinges on this right here. So before he speaks again, he prays. Now, just to get the picture right, he's standing in the, the courts, uh, the king's court, in front of the, like, the guy just asked him a question. It's not like you can just, like, stand there for 10 minutes and pray before you respond, right? This is like one of those quick arrow prayers that we talk about sometimes where you just kind of shoot it up. It's like two seconds, oh, God, please help me here. And then you go, right? And what I love about this is it shows that Nehemiah was in ongoing communication with the Lord. He had such a relationship with God that he knew that in just a couple seconds he could pray and reach out for help and God was going to hear him. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about unceasing prayer here at Harvest. We talk about that a lot. This shows his deep level of dependence and faith. But here's the trick to arrow prayers. You want to know the trick? Arrow prayers only work when they're undergirded by a life of prayer. If the only time you pray to God is right before that test or right before that, that ask of your boss or right before you have to deal with your kids, God, please help me here, that's not going to get you very far. But when you've built your life on prayer, when you've been praying and fasting every day for four months and you need a quick little arrow prayer to God, he hears that and he loves to respond to that. So Nehemiah prays and then he God answers him and gives him courage and gives him the words to speak. And he says to the king, send me to rebuild it. 
Now, it seems like a simple request at first. Like, just, just let me go back and rebuild the walls, king, and then we'll be good. But I want you to think about what he's truly asking the king in this moment. Think about this. This is a big ask. He says, king, will you send one of your top guys away for months, maybe years, to rebuild a foreign, captive, opposing religious Mecca? Would you do that for me, king? <laughs> this is a big crazy ask from Nehemiah. And the king responds, how long will you be gone? <laughs> what? <laughs> wait, 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 what did you say? Did you just say, did the king just say yes? Nehemiah goes on to say, it pleased the king to send me. Not just did he say yes, it pleased him to send Nehemiah, one of his top guys, away for months or years to rebuild the city that he could really care less about. And again, if you go back in history, if you read about Artaxerxes, and you know anything about his kind of reign and character, this was not normal. <laughs> this is not the way he did things. This was not something he would have normally been open to. This is clearly the fact that God has moved in his heart, and he has changed him to respond to Nehemiah in this way. Without God... Nehemiah's request would have absolutely failed. There's no way this works without God's help. But Nehemiah's faith in the Lord had brought him to a place of victory in this moment. I want you to think about this for a second. I was thinking about this this week myself. I'm going to give you some examples from our life. But I want you to, before I do, I want you to think about your own life. What's the craziest thing that you've ever asked God for? Like when you think about your prayer life, when you think about all the things that you've walked through, what's the craziest, like big, God, if you don't do this, there's no way it's going to work, prayer request that you've ever prayed? couple examples just from our life. Um, back several years ago now, I guess six or six or seven years ago now, um, God really started pressing on Courtney and I's heart to adopt. And uh, we, we kind of started feeling that out and found out that adoption in America is pretty expensive, unfortunately. Um, and we didn't have that kind of money saved up. We had a little bit, but we didn't have all of it. And so we're like, all right, God, if you want us to do this, you're going to have to really provide. And so, but we, we knew God was calling us to adopt. And so we stepped out in faith and we started walking through the adoption process and fundraising money and finding other ways to try to come up with more money to, to pay for all of this. And, and the way adoption works, the, the kind that we were doing, you pay about half the money, you pay half the money about halfway through the process, right? So you first you have to go through all your home study and stuff, and then you get to the point where they start showing your profile to birth mothers. And at that point, you have to pay half of it up front. And then you pay the other half when you receive the child, when the baby's born and they come to live with you. And we're like, okay, that's cool. That's usually like six to 12 months after the first payment before you have to make the second payment. So we're, we can keep you know, working on this. So that we made the first payment, emptied out the majority of our savings and, and continued moving forward. But God in his awesomeness um, decided to match us with a birth mother in two weeks. Um, and she was delivering the next week. And so we found out within three weeks that we had to come up with the other $15,000 uh, to finish the adoption. And we didn't have it. And so we started praying. And we started asking God, like, will you give us $15,000 in this next week? And we were praying, and everybody else is praying. 
And by the end of the week, God had given us every dollar that we needed. Crazy. Crazy ask. But when God has called you to do something and he and you step out in faith, he gives you exactly what you need to do it. A couple years ago, um, right before we launched the church here on Sunday mornings, my wife, Courtney, some of y'all know this, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so uh, she got diagnosed, and, and so she started kind of meeting with the doctors and stuff. And I remember almost immediately when I found out, I just started praying fervently every single day. Like, God, just miraculously heal her. Just just take, like, next doctor's appointment, she goes in there like, why are you here? Like, there's nothing. It's, it's just, like, that's what I was asking God for. Like, just miraculous, 100% gone kind of healing. Or at the least, make it so small, shrink it so much that it's a minimal kind of treatment, and we can just move past this. God didn't do that. In fact, she ended up having to have a more extensive surgery than we originally anticipated. She had to go through chemo and radiation, and for months while we're, while we're going through all this, and we're trying to launch a brand new church. And I remember, like, when we found out that God didn't heal her, I'm just like, God, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> like, did you forget that you just told us to come plant this church, and, like, we finally made it here, and it's time to launch, and now you're doing this? Like, what in the world is going on? But I learned something valuable. We learned something valuable through that process. Faith in God isn't just about him saying yes. Faith in God is being willing to trust him, that he's going to walk you through whatever he's called you to, even when it's hard, even when you don't have the strength to do it. And he grew our faith through those months and years, not because he gave us healing, but because he came alongside us and he gave us strength to endure through the fear through the struggle, through the problems. And that grew our faith just as much, if not more, than if he would have said, yes, you're healed. It can go both ways. But God is still growing us in the faith and taking us through that fear. One more example for us as a church collectively. Some of you were around for this. Some of you weren't with us yet, but I want to just encourage you with the story. So, if you know anything about our story, when Courtney and I came back to, to start planting here in St. Louis, we really didn't have anybody as part of the church yet. And so we started sharing the vision and trying to pull people together. And we were trying to get to 50 adults uh, before we launched Sunday mornings. And it took us two years to get to 50 adults. But we finally did. We finally got there and we were like, all right, we got the numbers. We can launch. And then it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, we need $50,000 uh, to buy all the equipment that we're still using to this day to be able to do church on Sunday mornings. So 50 adults, $50,000. And I came to them, I said, okay, so we need this $50,000, and by the way, um, we need it like now. Not like six months from now, not like, a, a, like, like in a, I'm gonna give you one week to go home and pray and figure out how much you can give, and then come back next week with as much as money as you can, and, and, and then promise how much you're gonna give for the rest of the time in the next couple months. So we all went home and we prayed and we asked the Lord, God, will you do this? Will, will you be crazy enough to, to give us what, you, what we need to plant the church that you've asked us to plant? We came back one later. Everybody brought their numbers together. We turned them in and we counted the stuff. And that night, we had almost exactly $50,000 come in, not in commitments, in money, cash in hand, in a week. 50 adults, 
$50,000. Because we were crazy enough to believe that if God told us to do something, he was going to provide for it. This is walking in faith. This is what Nehemiah is doing here. He's going because the Lord said go, and he's crazy enough to believe that God's going to do it, and he asks him to move. So what is it for you? What are your stories? What are your crazy God stories where you're just like, God, I know you've called us to do this, but I don't see how it's going to work. Will you please do this? Will you please act on our behalf? When have you had to rely on your faith in God to get you through a fearful situation? Let me just challenge you this morning. I want to say this with as much grace as I can, but I want you to hear what this really means. If you can't think of a time that you would have failed without God, then you need to stop playing it safe and start taking some steps of faith with the Lord. Because your faith in the Lord will never grow more than when you step out and put all your chips in and say, God, without you, this is going to fail. That's when God does great things in your life and for his kingdom. When I put my faith in the power of God, no fear can defeat me. It's about trusting in him. It's about stepping out with the blindfold on and believing that he's going to come through. What has God told you to do, but you're too afraid? Some of you right now, you've got some things in your life, in your business, with your kids, with church, where God's, God's clearly told you to do something and you're just too scared to step out and take that step of faith. What could you do for God if you had more that's another way to ask that question. God wants us to take new ground through faith. It requires overcoming the fear of man with, faith, with a greater fear and faith in God and allowing that faith to take us through the fear to the other side where we're going to fail without him. And there's one more piece to this passage. Look at verse 7. So the king's already said, yeah, you can go back and build Jerusalem. Go for it. And then verse 7, it says, and I said to the king, <laughs> and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of God was upon me. Last point today is this. Faith in God provides all I need to fulfill his work. Faith in God provides all I need to fulfill his work. So, so imagine this. Nehemiah is there in front of the king, right? He was already like trembling because he's not, not sure how this is going to go. And the king's like, what do you want? He's like, send me to Jerusalem. He's like, all right, good. You can go. Just tell me when you're going to be back. And he's like, and one more thing, right? Like, like he, like he, Nehemiah is like, hey, we're on a roll. Might as well go for, go for gold right here, right? Like, God is moving, and Nehemiah just keeps moving right with him. He says, and king, will you give me letters to the governors? 
will you write me letters of protection? That's what he's asking for, right? I have, to, I have to travel through their land. I don't want them to stop me or try to, you know, create some problems because they think I'm doing something behind your back, whatever. So will you give me letters of protection so that I can go through to where I need to get to? You see, Nehemiah had a plan. Yeah, he's been praying for four months, but he's also been planning for four months. And he knows exactly what he's been called to do. He knows the route he's going to take. He knows how he's going to get there. He's done his research. He knows what governors he's going to have to talk to along the way. He is ready when he goes to talk to the king. And he says, also, can I get a letter to Asaph? He's the one in charge of your forest. I need some timber for the walls. <laughs> I need some wood for my house, right? Can you give me supplies? So king, not only will you send me to go rebuild the city, but will you protect me and supply me to do it? That's what Nehemiah is asking right now. But what I see here even more than that crazy request is that Nehemiah had a well-thought-out, detailed plan of what God had called him to do. God had been preparing this guy for four months through prayer and fasting, and he knew exactly what it was going to take. You see, for the Christian, praying leads to preparation. When God calls you to do something and you take that time to stop and pray and seek the Lord, not only is he confirming things in your heart, not only is he giving you the strength to do it, he's also preparing you and giving you the the insight and the wisdom and the plan that you're going to need to carry out what he's called you to do. So it says, the king granted what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. I love that. God provided for Nehemiah every step of the way because he was walking in faith. Now, let me clarify here. Provision lies not in my faith, but in the God of my faith. This is an important distinction that separates what Bible-believing Christians understand about faith from some other parts of the church and Christianity that get a little sideways when it comes to how faith really works. It's, faith is not faith for the sake of faith. It's not faith in itself. Faith, by biblical faith, is faith in the God who has the power and the control and the sovereignty to do exactly what he's called us to do. And so Nehemiah's faith here lies in the Lord. Not in me, not in you, not in our power. And so if we're going to really walk in faith, if we're going to really step out and follow the Lord in faith, we have to really understand what faith is and what faith is not. So I want to give you just five things today that faith is not, just to help clarify for us what biblical faith really looks like. Okay? Number one, faith is not demanding God fulfill my selfish desires. God, I really want that nice house, or I really want that girlfriend, or I want that promotion at work, and you know, I know, God, that you want me to be happy, and you love me, so God, I have faith that you're going to give me these things. That's not the kind of biblical faith we're talking about. Psalm 37, verse 3 through 4, says this, trust in the Lord, and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, we love that last part, right? He'll give you the desires of your heart. We put that on t-shirts and mugs and, you know, mirrors and all kinds of stuff. We love that part. But we have to talk, we have to talk about the first part 
That part comes after the trust the Lord. Befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in Him. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Because you see, when you start to delight yourself in the Lord, rather than delight yourself in the things of this world, guess what? His desires become your desires. And then I'm not, I'm not praying just for a nicer house or a nicer car or this or that. I'm praying what the Lord has called me to do. I'm praying what the Lord desires for my life. And then he's more than happy to come and rush in to answer that. So faith is not demanding God fulfill my selfish desires. Number two, faith is, expect, is not expecting God to bless my reckless decisions. Well, I know I can't really, I know we can't really afford this car, but, you know, God, God, I really want it, and God loves us, and so I, I'm just, I just have faith that he's going to provide. So somewhere that he's going to provide the money, and so we're just going to go ahead and buy it anyways. Well, I, I, know I'm, I know I'm sick, but I don't really need to seek treatment. I don't need healthier habits, because I, I believe God's going to heal me. And so I don't, have to do, I don't have to do any of that stuff. I just need to trust that God's going to heal, and, and we're good. No, I haven't really properly planned or vetted this this business deal, but man, it looks awesome. And I know God wants me to be successful in business, so I'm just going to step out in faith, and He's just going to He's going to take care of things. I have faith that God's going to move. That's not biblical faith. Wisdom and planning are not contradictory to faith; they're complementary to faith. God gives us a brain for a reason. He gives us abilities for a reason. And so, yes, we have to step out in faith and believe that God's going to do his part, but it doesn't mean that we disregard all logic and wisdom that he's given us in taking those steps. Faith is not an excuse for me to do whatever I want to do and let God pick up the pieces. So faith is not expecting God to bless my reckless decisions. Number three, faith is not ignoring God's word to follow my feelings. Mm. I know what God's I know God's word says that I shouldn't date or marry an unbeliever, but man, I just love him so much. And you know, God God loves him and I love him and we just need to be we just need to God'll take care of it. God'll bring him around. Don't do it. I know God's word says I need to give to him first, but he understands our financial situation. He understands that, you know, things are tied, and, and we just, and so I'm just, we're just not going to do that right now, and we trust that God's going to provide anyways. We have faith. God's going to give us what we need. I know God's word says I need to faithfully worship and walk and work for him and be a part of his church and be invested in making disciples, but, but I also think he's called me to this other ministry over here or this other job over here, and I just, I can't really do the other church thing right now, so I'm just going to go do this instead. That's not faith. That's not biblical faith. 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25 says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. Grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. The primary way, primary way that God speaks to us and reveals his will to us is through his word. Sure, God speaks to us in other ways too, through other people, through prayer, through 
through the Holy Spirit. There are lots of ways God speaks, but the primary way, the first way he speaks is through the power of his word. God's word is the foundation of our faith. And therefore, faith in God will never contradict the word of God. If whatever you think your God's calling you to step out in faith and do, if it goes against what his word says, that's not God talking. That's not faith in God. That might be faith in the enemy. That might be faith in your own heart and desires, but that's not faith in God if it contradicts his word. Number four, faith is not only stepping out when I know the outcome. Nehemiah here, he, he asked the king to send him, and he asked for supplies without knowing if he would say yes. He had no guarantee. He had to step out not knowing what the outcome would be. When we look back, and there's story after story in the Bible. When we look back in the Old Testament, I thought about Abraham. God tells Abraham to take his son and sacrifice him on the side of a mountain. Crazy. And Abraham takes him up the mountain, and he literally is over his son with the knife in the air, still not knowing that God's going to provide the ram. He didn't know the outcome, but he stepped out in faith anyways. In the New Testament, I think about Peter, right? They're in the boat. Everything's crazy. The waves are all over the place. They see Jesus coming. He's like, Jesus, let me come to you. He's like, come on. And Peter, think about this. Peter literally had to put his leg over the side of the boat and put his foot on the water before he knew if he was going to sink or not. Walking in faith doesn't mean I already know the outcome. It means trusting God even when I don't. Faith is being willing to take the next step with God before he shows you the final result. Number five, last one. Faith is not only saying yes when the cost is low. Jesus, again, in Luke 14, 26 through 27, says this. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Listen, friends, if you haven't caught on yet, there is always a cost to following Jesus. Following Christ always takes sacrifice. There's always a cost to walking in faith with the Lord. It's never easy. I have and now that I've been in ministry for a number of years and walked with people and, and helped people through different things, I have just seen example after example of people walking in faith with the Lord even when the cost was high. I've sat across the table from people who have been dependent on drugs to cope with life for years and years and years who put them down and walk away cold turkey because they have faith that Jesus is enough to get them through. I've seen partners be willing to forgive their partner's infidelity 
and to work on healing their marriage because they believe, they have faith that Jesus is enough to bring healing and restoration when there's brokenness. I've seen Christians pass up promotion after promotion after promotion in other cities because in faith they believe God has called them here to be doing his work in St. Louis no matter what the world would offer them to go somewhere else. I've seen Christians sacrifice things that they wanted, things they even needed in order to give more money, to give more time, to give more to the church because they believe that God is doing a greater work. And they have faith that God's going to use them to advance his kingdom. The greatest steps of faith require sacrifice. They come at a cost. And we have to be willing to bear that cost if we're going to walk with the Lord in faith. But friends, on the back side of it, we get to experience what Nehemiah had. The good hand of God on your life. There is no greater reward. There's nothing in this world that I want more than to experience the good hand of God on my life, on my family's life, on our church's life, on our community, on our city. I want to see the good hand of God working and moving in every area. And the only way that happens is if we're brave enough and strong enough and sacrificial enough to step out in faith and trust that God's going to do his part if we'll follow him. If I want to experience the good hand of God, I have to walk with him in faith. At the beginning I said this. To walk in faith, I must follow the Lord in a work that will fail without him. That's a big statement. But as long as I can do it on my own, as long as I can make it happen, then I don't really need God, do I? Faith comes when I step out in an area that if he doesn't show up, it's going to fail miserably. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you said yes to God, knowing that it would fail if he didn't come through? What's he calling you to do for him right now that will fail without him? Church, friends, I truly, deeply believe that God is wanting to take new ground in your life and in our church right now. But that's going to require that we walk with him in faith. We have to step out in big ways that will fail without him. But when you do this, when we do this, we will get to experience the good hand of God on our lives. And on the lives of all those who he calls us to minister to. It's not just about us. It's about the impact that it'll have on disciples that make disciples that make disciples. It's time 
it's time for all of us to take new ground through steps of greater faith. But it starts right here. I can't do it for you, your spouse, friends, family. You have to decide, do I trust God enough? Do I fear the Lord more than I fear anything else that I'm willing to step out in faith and let him do what only he can do? Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly God, we just come before you now. We thank you, God, so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for just the truth, Lord, that you call us to follow you, to love you, to be with you, God. Thank you so much for all the ways that you have blessed us, that you provided for us, that you lead us. Lord, we want to continue to walk with you in greater faith. Lord, we want to see your good hand moving in our lives, moving in our church. Dear Heavenly Father, show us our next steps of faith. Lord, give us the courage to trust, to follow, to fear you more than anything else. Lord, give us faith today. I pray all of this in Christ's name.